Receiving a blessing is something that uh, every one of us needs, and through God's design, this is intended to occur in a family. Uh, parents are the ones who've been designated to, to bless their children, and this blessing is to be more of a soul-level experience. The blessings affirm value. They, uh, it ensures love. It determines a future. Mary and I have known college students who came to school here and they seem to have missed out on this kind of soul-level blessing somewhere along the way. Uh, these students were looking for something from someone they respected. They usually didn't understand what it was, but knew something was incomplete. Sometimes it took the form of academic drivenness. Sometimes it took the form of trying to be the funniest person in the room. Sometimes it took the form of always needing to be in a relationship. Uh, sometimes it took the form of questions about their masculinity or femininity. It wasn't primarily about any of those things, but rather the bottom line was a search to be blessed by someone they respected, someone they loved, someone who loved them deeply. And let me tell you, this, this blessing from a father to a daughter and a father to a son is especially significant. A mother's blessing is powerful as well, but from what I've read and experienced, uh, father's and here, we have a very important role to play in blessing our children. Um, there's a really good book called The Blessing, which is a good title for it, because that's what it's all about. And it's a book I'd recommend reading by Gary Smalley and, and John Trent, if you're interested in learning more about this. I'll never forget uh, when I got it right one time with our daughter. She gave me permission to, to share this story with you. She goes, I don't think you can get through it without crying, but I think I can. I think I can. She was in college and was in the beginning of a relationship with this boy who wasn't treating her very well. Uh, he was extremely manipulative, and it was pretty messy emotional, emotionally for her and, and for us too. And she came home to get away for a couple of days. And, a while, and while on that break, um, we had a talk. You know, Mary and myself and our daughter... And it was a real, I mean, it was, it was a real difficult conversation, one of the most difficult I've had uh, in my life, really. And toward the end of the conversation about this boy, I looked at her with tears in my eyes, and I said to her, you are a precious gift from God, and you deserve to be treated like that. Don't ever settle for anything less. And later I asked her, do I need to come straighten out things with this boy? <laughs> What I gave our daughter was a blessing, uh, affirming who she is and where she came from and where she could go. I affirmed that she was loved by me and loved by God. And she took it from there and went on to marry one of my favorite people on the planet. He treats our daughter like the gift that she is from God. Today, I want to put the spotlight on a couple of people we read about in Genesis, the first book in your Bible. And we're going to start in Genesis chapter 25 with a story, a birth story. A young mother-to-be was pregnant with twin boys, and these two boys defined sibling rivalry even while in the womb. They wrestled with each other on the day of their birth, each of them trying to be the first one out. Esau was born first, Jacob was trailing just behind, grabbing his brother's heel along the way, as if he's trying to pull Esau back so he can get ahead of him and be first. And from that scene forward... Their relationship was a struggle for many, many years. Esau was his dad's favorite. He was a hunter, a manly man, a man of the land. He loved the thrill of the hunt and the adventure and the taste of wild game. 
Jacob was his mother's favorite. We read he was a peaceful man who stayed near the homestead. You've got to wonder if Jacob hung around the farm just hoping to get Isaac's attention away from Esau for even a moment. Perhaps the reason Isaac and Rebekah didn't love both boys equally was because they didn't love each other sufficiently. The climate in the family was competition and dominance. In a family where the husband and wife are in competition, the whole family loses. Jacob was always an afterthought to Isaac. He suffered most of his life. Every day, he was reminded of two things. His dad didn't love him, and he was not Esau. The issue at stake in Isaac's family was which, was, uh, which of the boys would receive the blessing from the father. And this blessing was a gift of, of, of approval and affirmation, kind of the seal of the father's love. The, bus, the blessing gives a, a son a sense of identity and significance throughout their life. And that's what Jacob didn't receive but wrestled for most of his life. Rebekah's strongest desire was for her son, Jacob, to receive Isaac's blessing. So she devised a plan, and she drew Jacob into her desire, conniving him to get this blessing from his father. And the two of them worked out a scheme based on deception to trick Isaac. And here's how it went down. Jacob was to dress up like his brother. Rebekah was going to make Isaac's uh, favorite dinner just the way Esau would have made it. And on the day when Isaac said he was ready to give his blessing, Rebekah's plan went into motion. While Esau was out on a hunt, Jacob came in to his father's tent and lied about who he was to his father, whose eyesight was pretty much gone at this point in the game. Jacob deceived his dad. He tricked his blind father. And here's what happened. Genesis 27, if you want to follow along. Verse 17. Then she, Rebekah, handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father? Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? And Jacob said to his father, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brothers, so he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. So Jacob not only flat out lied twice about being Esau, he also brought the name of God in on his scheme when he said, the Lord, your God, gave me success. That's pretty bold. Verse 25 in chapter 27, then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so I may give you my blessing. And Jacob brought some wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him, and when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness, and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. That's, that's quite a blessing. You know, it contains the affirmation every child needs. And as you can imagine, uh, Esau, his brother, was devastated when he found out what happened. And he begged for a blessing from his father. And here's what he got. I don't understand why the leftover blessing was so harsh. It's, it's really not a blessing at all. But here's the blessing Esau received. Verse 39, his father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above, 
You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. So a terrible grudge began that, that day, filled with hatred and jealousy and competition. Esau's emotions were so intense, he made plans to kill his brother, um, Jacob. And Rebekah comes up with the idea for Jacob to run away and hide out at her uncle's place. And she did it under the guise of getting Jacob away from the local Canaanite women. She didn't want him to marry one of them, and neither did Isaac. So Isaac blessed the plan and sent Jacob on his way. And I'm guessing Rebecca thought this was all her idea. To get Jacob away from the local Canaanite women. And she did that, and she got Isaac to buy, to buy into this plan. But it sure seems to me like God may have had a deeper plan in mind for this. <clears throat> Brene Brown says belonging and fitting in are not the same thing. Can you think of a time uh, when you clearly knew the difference? A few years ago, Brian Dyer and I signed up to run a 5K at Keeneland. I talked him into it. I mean, I brought it up to him. And I thought it was a race to support this program called Girls on the Run. And I was almost right. I was almost right. Instead, it was literally a Girls on the Run event. (laughs) So we got there. And 98% of the people there were girls that were about elementary age. There were hundreds of them, hundreds. But, you know, we paid our $25 entry fee, and we finished in the top five. <laughs> Maybe our best finish ever. And we dropped the hammer on those girls with no mercy. It was, it was awesome. But <laughs> that was a place I definitely did not belong. Uh, and there was no way to fit in. There was just no way. Belonging is being accepted for who you are. Fitting in is being accepted for trying to be who you're not. If I belong, I get to be me. If I have to fit in, I I can't be me. And when you're fitting in instead of belonging, you're always afraid someone will find out you're not who you appear to be. So Jacob set out for Laban's ranch, feeling as unblessed as he always had, defeated, bitter, no place to belong. And though Isaac had blessed him, he knew it was a stolen blessing. And it was not satisfying for his longing for affirmation from his father. We all know that love which is forced from another leaves both the taker and the taken empty. He knew he had been a pawn in a strong-willed mother's checkmate of his father. And he left with a memory of what had to be done uh, to his brother and what both of his parents had failed to do to his inner security. Surely... Jacob had heard the stories about God from Isaac and Rebekah, stories about his grandfather, Abraham's experiences with God. He had heard about the promise given to Abraham, about all the descendants that were going to follow. He had an intellectual belief in God, but a callousness protected his unblessed heart. And Jacob made his way to Laban's, arriving there uh, looking for a surrogate father or a mother, an older an older brother, some authority figure finally telling him that he is okay. So many people are walking around not having received a message that they are loved by their mother or their father. I can think of two vital gifts I can leave my kids. This is the best inheritance I can give them. Number one, I can leave them with absolutely no doubt that my eternal destination is heaven. I know I am loved by God. And number two, 
I can leave them with absolutely no doubt that they are loved by me. Every person needs to be loved. Every person needs to be blessed. God got Jacob away from Isaac's conditional acceptance and Rebekah's dominance because he knew it was his blessing with Jacob, which Jacob most needed. On the way to Laban's farm, Jacob had a dream. He saw this uh, a ladder in this dream, and it was reaching up to heaven, and there were angels going up and down the ladder. And the message was pretty clear to Jacob. This was a blessing, an affirmation from God. God had promised him an even better birthright, and he was to receive the blessings promised to Abraham and to Isaac. Jacob didn't expect to meet the Lord under the stars at Luz, but his dream made an impact on him. And he built an altar, an altar and he called the place Bethel, the house of God. He also made a vow to give a tenth of all he's given to the house of God. For the first time, he begins to know what it's like to be blessed. Now let's fast forward to another altering dream Jacob has. This one happens uh, many years later. Jacob had decided it's time to leave Laban's ranch and go back home. And the night before he's to meet his brother Esau, for the first time since he ran away, he had another dream. And in this dream, he wrestled all night long. And Jacob seems to be struggling with God for a blessing. And in the end, three things happened. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Jacob woke up from that dream with a permanent limp, and God blessed him. Or maybe the limp was the blessing. Because when Jacob meets Esau the next day, we read that Esau ran to meet him. And maybe he did that because Jacob couldn't run anymore because of the limp. And you can't help but wonder if this limp softened Esau's heart to prepare the way for reconciliation between these two estranged brothers. Jacob isn't the only person who is vulnerable in this section of Genesis. After Jacob's deception to get Isaac's blessing because of Esau's murderous threats, Jacob ran for cover to his uncle Laban's farm. That's Rebekah's brother. And Laban had two daughters. Rachel was the youngest, and Leah was the oldest. Leah is a person who suffered daily in much the same way that Jacob did. In the Bible, um, we read that Rachel had a lovely form and was beautiful. Leah, the older sister, is described as having weak eyes. This was not a comment about her eyesight. Uh, we don't read Leah, or Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had eyes like a hawk. That's not what we read. What we read is Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was gorgeous. I've read that some think Leah's weakness may have been that she was cross-eyed or literally unsightly in some way. The point is Leah was unattractive and she had to live in the shadow of her sister's beauty every day. Jacob, along with every, boy, other, every other boy who, who passed by Laban's farm, falls in love with Rachel. He falls so deeply in love with the woman he sees that he agrees to work seven years to marry her. And just like Jacob growing up not being Esau, Leah grew up not being Rachel. Rachel was the pretty one, the one all the boys wanted to talk to. No one stalked Leah on Facebook, but they all did with Rachel. Now, ladies, I know this may be hard to imagine. But try to imagine your worth as a woman being primarily driven by your physical attractiveness. Imagine that your worth has little to do with your soul and nearly everything to do with your body. I know that's a crazy idea, but just imagine that. And now imagine having a father who believes no boy would ever pay a dowry for you. And the only way he can figure out how to marry you off is to deceive your sister's fiancé. 
See, Jacob provided a solution for Laban, and it didn't hurt that he was blinded by Rachel's beauty. After seven years passed, this big wedding happened, lots of wine, a veiled bride, a honeymoon night, and in the morning, there was Leah. Laban tricked the trickster. And don't you know, Leah wondered what Jacob would say, and she thinks, maybe he'll be kind and gentle. Maybe he will love me, because he knows a little bit about pretending to be who you're not. Jacob's response wasn't what Leah had hoped for. And this has to be one of the most disheartening moments that we read in the Bible. Genesis 29, 25, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Leah was not Rachel. And I can't help but wonder what Jacob's response did to Leah on the inside. Jacob loved Rachel enough to work another seven years for Laban, and then there's Leah. And she had a hole in her heart just as big as the one in Jacob's. And both of them were searching for a blessing. Both of them wanted to be loved. Leah set her heart on securing Jacob's love. Verse 29, or verse 31 in chapter 29, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. In a world where a woman's woman's ability to produce children is another path toward being highly valued, uh, God gave Leah a, a generous blessing. Verse 32, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Now let that last line sink in. Surely my husband will love me now. Leah thinks maybe now Jacob will be excited to see me as he is when he sees Rachel. Unfortunately, Jacob's attitude toward Leah doesn't seem to change. She had a second son, verse 33. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too, and she named him Simeon. And she had a third son. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. And she had a fourth son. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. One writer has this thought. I think it's worth sharing. Leah's thinking, surely my husband will love me now. But instead, every birth pushed her down deeper into a hell of loneliness. Every single day, she was condemned to see the man she most longed for in her arms, in the arms of the one whose shadow she had lived all of her life. Every day was another knife in the heart. So after Judah was born, Leah stopped having children for a while. Uh, Maybe she gave up hope on being loved like Rachel was loved. In a different tent, Rachel is having a difficult time sitting by watching, watching her sister give birth to four boys. Uh, She's not used to playing second fiddle to her older sister. So she decides to jump in the birth war vicariously through her servant. Listen to her desperation. This is chapter 30 at verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister and she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. I imagine her making this statement with, with some kind of demonic growl, you know, in her voice. What happens next is, is really odd. It's just an odd situation. Leah's son found some mandrakes in a field. 
In this culture, mandrakes were considered to be an aphrodisiac. Rachel catches wind of this mandrake harvest, and she immediately wants some, thinking it would help her, you know, have children. She says to Leah, please give me some of, some of your son's mandrakes. And Leah said to Rachel, wasn't it enough that you took my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes as well? And Rachel cuts a deal. She says, very well, Jacob can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. And, and that night, Leah gets pregnant and has a fifth son. Verse 17, God listened to Leah and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. And then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. And this, is, this is crazy stuff going on. And it's all right here in our Bibles for anybody to read. You know, this is, this is just crazy. This is Jacob I mean, we're talking about. The grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac. I mean, these guys are legendary. And, and these sons being born on Jacob's ranch through Leah and Rachel and their servant girls, these boys will eventually be the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, this is a big deal. So here's a question that I have. Uh, where are the spiritual heroes in this brief timeline of history? I mean, surely God could have found someone else for us to read about, to, to learn from, someone who would have been a little more exemplar in their model for us to follow. I mean, not a single person comes out smelling like a rose here. In fact, they're all pretty stinky. But maybe that's the point. Maybe the point of the story is that God cares for the person who's trying to fit in because they're afraid they don't belong because they're afraid they're not enough, because they're afraid they'll be found out, they're unloved, or they're afraid they're in the way. Maybe God cares about the person who's missed out on the blessing, and he wants to do something about that. I want you to to see something that's fairly subtle in Leah's story. She names her first son Reuben, which means the Lord has seen my misery. She acknowledges the Lord knows who she is. He knows who she's not. He knows what she's experienced. He knows her plight, her desperation, her emptiness. And she's gone through the experience of giving birth to three boys. After Reuben was born, she says, Surely my husband will love me now. After Simeon was born, the Lord heard that I was not loved. And after Levi was born, at last my husband will become attached to me. Then when son number four arrives, listen to what she says. This time I will praise the Lord. It sounds like after Judah is born, she stakes her greatest hopes of being loved by Jacob and of being blessed by Laban, and she puts all her hopes on the Lord. This fourth son's name, Judah, simply means praise. And guess through which of Jacob's sons the lineage of Jesus travels? Through the line of Judah. God came to a cross-eyed girl, the one whose dad had used to benefit himself, whose sister showed little loyalty or support, whose husband showed no love, and he made her one of Jesus' grandmothers. Salvation came to the world not through beautiful Rachel, but the unwanted, unloved sister. When God saw Leah was not loved, he loved her. And when God saw Jacob was not blessed, he blessed him. Jesus came to this earth as Leah's grandson, a vulnerable baby, born in a barn, because no one would make room for him anyplace else. John writes these words about Jesus. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus became the man no one wanted, so we would know we are loved, and so we would know we are blessed by God, blessed with forgiveness, blessed with grace, blessed with an unimaginable inheritance, blessed with the confidence of our eternal life. So here's the invitation this morning. 
Come and be blessed. Come to God and be loved. The one who made you know, the one who made you knows best how to love you and to bless you. Give up all the other avenues you've pursued in your effort to fit in, to be who others want you to be. Give all that up and come home where you can belong, where you can be who you were made to be from the day you were born. Give your life to Jesus, and he will give the best version of yourself back to you. I would like the final word today to be a blessing. This is a blessing from the book of Numbers, a blessing God gave over the nation of Israel. So let's stand together uh, as I read this blessing over you. It's from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.